This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's great to have you on the radio today as we talk about energy savings, technology, and sustainability. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters. We're coming to you from WGAUradio.com, our home for great radio talk about energy, sustainability, and technology. In the studio with me today, Christopher Matos Rogers. How's it going, Christopher? Great. Good to be here. And, you know, I've learned something already because you're a green, competent realtor and I have not heard of that. Tell us a little bit about that designation, and then we're going to back up and go kind of through your green evolution in your life. Yeah, certainly. So the National Association of Realtors offers designations. Those are that alphabet soup that you see sometimes on a realtor's business card. That's a jumble of letters. Um, So there is actually a green one. It's just green, G-R-E-E-N, all capital letters. And it's a a course that goes through, teaches uh, agents all about what a green home is, energy performance, things like solar. And then it teaches you the value and how to market those properties. So it makes you competent in understanding the features and then what the value is and how you market those. Yeah, let's back up. You went to Southern Poly, uh, which uh, for our listeners out of state, that's an engineering school over in the northwest part of Atlanta. Tell me about your experience there, what your major was, and and how it led you to realty. Yeah, so that didn't have as much of leading me towards real estate as really more my background in uh, life. Uh, my family on the, my father's side are realtors, builders, architects, and tradesmen. So I grew up around residential real estate uh, in some form or the other. So it, it was just kind of a natural fit. Yeah. So you were an architect major? Yes, I, I but I've never worked in the field. Yeah. Um, after that, I went into marine biology, actually, and that's where really the green piece comes full circle. So before I switched into real estate, uh, I worked in marine biology. So by uh, talking about green in our association, uh, it really kind of brings those two fields together. One of the projects I had a chance to be involved with was putting a solar array on the Sapelo Island Community Library. And UGA has a pretty big footprint on the island uh, as students study the etuary and uh, and other things there. Have you ever been to any of the any of the coastal Georgia islands? Uh, not in, in in a work aspect. Um, growing up here in Atlanta, we did go down to Savannah and Tybee. Um, growing up, but nothing beyond that really. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a cool field. You've also uh, you work for Palmer House property so you're a real estate agent by day correct that's right? how i feed myself yeah and but you're you're a director in the atlanta realtors group which is the local association correct right and then you're also on the sustainability advisory group for the national association and how did that how did that uh, group come about yeah, that, so that's a great story actually um there's people like me at the local level, and then we're kind of spread across the country. Uh, This will be my first year involved at the national level, but there has been a core group involved for about a decade. Uh, We do have other committees such as land use and whatnot. So they've been been there for a long time making a space. And uh, ultimately what happened was in 2017, when we had the multiple hurricanes, um, they, NAR, uh, you know, the realtor associations are, they do not move quickly. They are conservative, conservative organizations that move slow and don't do anything hastily. But uh, at that point, with with all that was going on, they said, we need to, to do something. We need to respond to changing weather patterns and how are they in, impacting real estate? How is real estate impacting these issues? And so they formed this group two years ago. And... Um, they have done an amazing work growing quickly. They're already starting to uh, enact policy changes at NAR around energy. There's some really interesting ones that I think could be useful down here in Georgia, specifically around solar arrays and batteries. Um, I really would love to get Georgia Association of Realtors uh, better informed with that so that we can uh, talk about you know further net metering. I know we just expanded it in Georgia, but perhaps there's more to do. I had solar thermal on my house in Winterville, and when I went to sell that house, and my realtor didn't know anything about it, uh, it, it wasn't valued. There, you know, when they go through the little questionnaire with you, you know, as you're selling your house, uh, you know, it's like, what, what's solar thermal? Uh, and I felt like that I had made this investment, but it wasn't 
fully appreciated. And the guy that bought my house was uh, worked in the music business. He was from Nashville, and he he thought it was cool, but uh, he, he wasn't you know he wasn't wanting to pay any extra for it. Uh, so, is, is this a common problem with folks that put? Uh, renewable energy sources on their home? So far, we are seeing that, and it really has a lot to do. There is a public perception issue. Um, That is something also on the Realtor agenda is to do education on the public-facing side. But there's also a huge problem with uh, educating our members. We have to get people to understand that people do value this. And it comes down when we talk about marketing is when we look at any type of a house, whether it's whether it's location, whether it's a house with a lot of stairs, you start knowing your buyer is going to be a certain type of person and, and you either find an agent that tends to have that kind of a customer or something like that. And this is the same thing with green energy. If somebody doesn't know about it, you need to have an agent that has a presence, not, not only to understand it and the value, but also what is their physical presence in the business? Do they have customers that potentially in an audience that would buy that house? So it's very early stages, um, but it's, it's getting there and it really is just the, the education piece. Have you heard of the HERS score for uh, for a home? Yes, and yeah. we actually have it in our MLS. It's a very prominent field. If you, you can actually search homes by it, but they're usually blank. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about what the HERS score is and, and what it's really designed to do and why folks aren't using it. Uh, well, they're not using it a lot of times because they don't know what it is or that it exists, uh, but it's, it's a rating scale to say how energy efficient is your home compared to other similar homes. So it gives you a number, to, and based on the sliding scale, you'll say this is an efficient home or it's very inefficient. So you know something like a 50 or even a 40 would be a good energy efficient home. Obviously, you could go lower than that, net zero or even negative. Um, but most homes and older homes in Georgia can be well over 100. We talk about energy burden sometime as we discuss energy rates and helping the poorest among us. And it, it does seem like that there's a correlation between, uh, between folks who are struggling to pay their bill uh, and having very inefficient homes. So it's just, it's just not a matter of the rates being high. We have some of the lowest rates in the nation. But these homes, maybe they're renting them, or maybe they've bought bought a home, but it's not energy efficient. And this this her score it seems like that that would really help a person who was kind of on the edge of their budget to know that hey, if I'm, you know, if if I'm looking at this home and I think it's going to be affordable, but that her score is over a hundred, well, that that should be a that should be a a, a red flag, shouldn't it? It, it should be. And and part of it is getting that information out there. You bring a lot of good points up. Uh, I actually think it would be great if somebody came out here and uh, there's a lot of investors, both institutional and individuals in the rental house market, the rental housing market right now because of the, the way the market's been the last decade. If there were somebody in Atlanta specifically that came out and said, I'm going to brand myself as having uh, green, healthy, because there's the health aspects of cleaner air when, you're, when your home has a tight envelope and energy efficient, that you know I'm going to offer low low energy prices on my, because my homes use less they have healthy air I think that would be amazing and you could probably make more rent there's also uh, when you're purchasing a home there are green mortgage programs that uh, will look at an energy efficient home that has a certification and you can actually qualify for a little bit more on your mortgage than you normally would because they know you're going to save over on your total cost right it's just like an ev you got to look at your what is your total cost not just your upfront now i haven't heard about the mortgage company giving consideration uh, how does a listener discover if they're using the right mortgage mortgage company that would do that so these are actually uh, federal programs that any mortgage lender can have they've been around since 93 so the fact that i didn't know about it until a few years ago and you haven't heard about it is sort of the issue here um, all of them have access to them. They're called an energy, an EEM, energy efficient mortgage. There's VA versions, there's FHA, and then conventional. So all all the types of loan products have an EEM overlay. Some wow. some lenders will try to fit you into a like a renovation loan because it's similar ish, and it's what they do more of. But ask around when you're talking to lenders and ask about the EEM. There's quite a few that actually, if you ask, will do it. So. You've had six EVs, and that may be a record for any guests that we've ever, ever had. So homes uh, that have, that are EV ready, I, I have a, a Chevy Volt. I've had, I'm on my fourth, and I've used a home charger, uh, and I've been on time of use rate, you know, with some utilities. I, I was on time of use with Georgia Power as well as Walton EMC. I'm not with, with Jackson EMC just because 
I, I, I compared it and I didn't, you know, I, I felt like, man, I don't know that I want to put my family through the aggressive type of turn my AC off that I do, you know, when I'm, you know, as an energy regulator, when I'm regulating my <laughs> own home, I take it very seriously. So I had mercy on my family on this. But are you seeing are you seeing more and more homes that are EV ready or homes that have chargers? What uh, what, what do you tell your clients who, you know, as they see your EV and as they're looking at a home? I'd say that I see very few that are uh, ready, EV ready. Um, I'm in over in North DeKalb. So, you know, North Fulton, North DeKalb are sort of the hot spots in, in town. When I do see them, it stands out to me because I'm so, I'm so not used to seeing them. Uh, there's a combination of people that still subsist off level one with their portable EVSE. And then there's just still a large number of people that don't have them. Um, so usually when I'm working with a client that either has an EV or they want to get an EV, then we look at where's your panel uh, compared to where you're going to park your car. And so we just make a plan for them to be able to install one after the fact. Yeah, 200 bucks is what I spent with my electrician last year. I spent 200 bucks with another electrician 3 years before that and 200 bucks with an electrician 3 years before that as I've as I've basically just put a junction box below that fuse box in my garage and then for about $400 you can get a Clipper Creek uh, charger that that plugs in. You probably have one in your home as well. Uh we've had 3, we're back down to 2 now, but yes, yeah. Yeah, so charging at home is is really easy. Well, we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to talk more about electric vehicles. We're going to talk about uh, more about being a green, competent realtor and how cool that is. I'm Tim Eccles. Stick around. We'll be right back. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm a public service commissioner, but I'm your host today and every week on Energy Matters. Thanks for listening to us in the studio with me, Christopher Matos Rogers. Christopher, man, we had a great time in that first segment. I want to keep this conversation going. Uh, you, grew, you grew up in Atlanta? Yes, in uh, Gwinnett County in Snellville. Yeah, what high school did you go to? South Gwinnett. South Gwinnett, yeah. Uh, that's the Comets, right? You, yeah, I, the, I'm surprised you remember. Yeah, yeah the Comets. Uh, they, they've had, you know, from time to time, very good basketball teams, uh, good athletics, but big school over there. Gwinnett County has an incredible uh, board of education and school system uh, and, and has for a, a long time. Then you went off to Southern Poly. How did you get interested in engineering? Was it just your family, or did you, did you have a lot of that? math and science acumen that you noticed when you were in high school? Both. I, I took advanced mathematics, uh, college level math, uh, did AP um, there at South. You're one of those guys. Yes, I am one okay. of those guys. I'm a number number cruncher, love science. Um, and then from there, also, yes, so with my family being in, in the field, uh, it just fit. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, we were talking before about the fact that you're a green, competent realtor. Now, our family, I'm 59 we have moved about every three years and i don't know why we move every three years uh you're a realtor's favorite customer yeah yeah but but we just for whatever reason we do we have seven children and that has had something to do with it because as the family got bigger we bought bigger houses and as the family began to get smaller we started decreasing the size of of the house and and we also have tended to kind of move where our children go or settle in some ways, I'm a little constrained because 
in Georgia, the public service commissioners have to live in a district. There are five of us, so we basically slice the state of Georgia into five pieces. And as long as I stay within that northeast Georgia district, starting in Gwinnett County, I could go anywhere, and who knows, we may. Uh, but I, in all my time of buying houses, I've never heard of a green, competent realtor. Why, why not? Well, the designation, I think, is about 10 years old at this point, so it's still relatively new. You know, before the recession hit, a lot of people were getting on um, solar and renewables and energy efficiency, and then the market crashed. And, and things were also more expensive back then, so you had, like, the culmination of the, the bad recession, the the crash real estate market and then still the cost of these early technologies so we really lost time there and as the market has recovered the technologies have become cheaper and more well known we're finally hitting kind of our stride yeah and before we go any further i mean christopher's on twitter just like me i'm at tim eccles our shows at matters radio you're at atl spelled like atlanta so atl electric so it's atlanta basically atl electric atl electric uh so you can find him and just go to go to my twitter handle and you'll see it and you can just uh you can follow him but you and i actually met on linkedin how cool is that yes it's working (laughs) yeah it's working we are we are linked and now you're on the radio show well tell me about some of these concepts the solar evaluation the green certified appraisers the green addendums that you could have um, this, this is all new to me yes so the, these are some of the tools that we have so just like realtors um, there is a green certification for appraisers and we do have them in Georgia so if you go to the appraisal Institute Institute's website you can also just Google uh, for green certified appraisals uh, appraisers you're gonna find a database essentially where you can search based on location and what certifications you want and that is one of them we do have uh, I forget the number of, that we have in the state, but DS Murphy's a big company here in the Atlanta area. They have several uh, on their r- roster. Um, and so they've had the training to understand and be able to know the math of not only for solar. You know, solar is a lot more complicated with its valuation. They actually go into the production and, and essentially you're buying the future power that that solar panel is going to produce over its remaining usable life. So it's there's some number crunching that goes on there. But things like green certifications, they usually... Um, use a percentage, usually three to five percent of the property price. As you look at homes to list or take clients to to view that have solar uh, on those homes, are you finding that this, the the systems are always functioning, or is there is there a broken inverter when you get there? Is the roof leaking because holes were punched in? I mean. Tell us, you know, tell us the truth here about what you're seeing uh, as you visit these places. The few that I've seen uh, seem to to be working flawlessly. You know, the other part of listing your home is hopefully your realtor is telling you these are some issues you have. Let's fix them before you list so that things go smoothly. The few that I've seen have been operational and having no issues. Um, It all is going to depend on how it was installed and and all of that. So uh, the the bigger thing we have is that a lot of times these homes aren't labeled. So if you go like if if you tell me tomorrow that you want to buy a home now with solar in Georgia. So I'll go into my FMLS account and I'll search and I'll put uh, criteria just like bedrooms and bathrooms and uh, other features in the house. Solar power is is an option. We do have green fields in our MLS, including a HERS score. They are searchable, but when I search, uh, I frequently do this just to kind of see what our market is doing. We usually have about 25 in the state of Georgia listed that say they have solar, but then I'll scroll through the photos and maybe a third of those actually have solar panels. So we have a combination of people not knowing what they're actually selecting. Um, the owners have to also know what their house is so that they can share it with their agent. You know, there's there's a certain perspective there, but then the agent needs to know and be thorough enough to go and put that in FMLS. I mean, how can you spend twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars on a solar array, and then list your home and not tell your agent? How does that happen? I'd say it's. I, I'm amazed sometimes in my profession. Wow. So you, what you're saying is that if you've made green improvements on your home, uh, so you put solar or solar thermal on your home, you can you know. Tell your realtor, hey, look, make sure that you list this in the green category on the MLS listing so it's searchable, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, and so 
Is it just a matter of them checking a box that it has solar? Is, that, is it that simple? It is that simple. So we have we have several types of greenfields. We have energy certifications like Earthcraft, LEED, Energy Star Whole Home. These are all a host of, of uh selections they can make the good thing is there is a national effort to automate more of this to build a sort of a national database of certifications and solar as detailed as how many kilowatt hours that your or how many kilowatts your system is so a lot of this is going to start being um automated if you will so it's just the agent doesn't even really need to know it's just going to be populated and the exciting part of that is that we have the leader of that organization he just last year became the ceo of fmls so he's now here with us in Georgia. He also was another member of the National Association of Realtors Sustainability Advisory Group. So it's really exciting for Georgia in 2020 and beyond for he and I to be here in Georgia, bringing that um, the efforts going on nationally here to our state. So we've got about 1,900 customers in the Georgia power system that are what we call behind the meter, meaning that they're not in a buy-all, sell-all relationship with the power company, that they're that they are actually consuming that energy on their home and they're selling any excess back. So you're saying that at any given time when you check, there's 25 or 30 that that are listed. But, you know, I do expect this to continue to grow. I mean, do you think that real estate agents, is it that they're just apathetic about it or they just don't know to do this? Both. Um, the biggest problem that we have as an industry a lot of times is that we hold on to old thought processes. I remember when I teamed up with Solarize Atlanta, was this two years ago now, maybe a year ago? Um, and I and we were reaching out because of our sustainability committee at Atlanta Realtors. And we were saying, you guys have this program going on. We want to make sure our members know. We want to see how we can assist you. And uh, they're like, they were shocked. They were like, oh my God, I'm so glad to have the Realtors engaging us because apparently when um, the solar regulation was going on in 2015 to bring leasing and whatnot, when people tried to reach out to the Realtors, the Realtors would say, um, solar is is ugly people don't want it. it it lowers values and hang up on them those were stories that were shared with me so we're having to get past ourselves and then we're having to understand where our industry is going it's very exciting though too because our industry like many is being sh- uh, shaken up uh, right now and so people are trying to stay on top and so we've got hungry people that want information every time we've offered a class on any sustainable topic, whether it's solar, green energy, what is Atlanta doing and how is it going to change your business? We have ravenous people coming to learn and they have great questions. So we just have to make sure that we keep doing that. In our last couple of minutes, I want to just ask you about, you know, your personal growth and evolution, you know, into the green movement. I know as a commissioner, you know, I, I first started with solar thermal because of a PR project I'd done in, in, at a master's class at UGA, and then I got to see in G car, and then a natural, uh, then an electric car, and and just began to experience different types of technology, and could speak on why it was good, why it was bad, and I really have tried to maintain some objectivity in this, but in the end, I feel like all the stuff that we promote on the show really deals with stewardship and my commitment to stewardship as an evangelical. What What is your personal evolution like in becoming a green competent realtor? Yeah, so it, part of it starts in childhood. My, my dad is an Air Force veteran, and so for four years we, we lived in Germany, and they've been leading on stuff like this forever. So living there in the late 80s, early 90s, that was a part of it. I really had a watershed moment, believe it or not, in Gwinnett County in second grade, right when we first moved back to the U.S. Um, you know, we before this issue became political, you know, in the early 90s, Gwinnett County was teaching about, you know, environment. And I remember learning about the theory of peak oil, essentially, in second grade. And I mean, it obviously stuck with me because I still remember it. Um, I didn't realize electric cars had ever been a thing at that point. All I knew is they were telling us oil was going to run out someday and that, you know, we had to learn. Um, and then after that, you know, I went into marine biology, bought my first electric car when I was still in marine biology. This is when the leaf was out. So it was the quote-unquote free electric car and i had a jeep wrangler spending four and five hundred a month on gas so i got my first electric car didn't think i was going to like it not only was it a huge savings but the performance even the leaf that's not a great car it was awesome and then went to tesla and from there wow that that's incredible well 
You are at AT Electric on Twitter. I'm at Tim Eccles. The show's at Matter Radio. Thanks so much for sharing all of this. Where can folks find out more about you and about uh, the Green Competent Realtor? Yes, if you're looking for a Green Competent Realtor, go to greenresourcecouncil.org and you can search National Realtors. If you're looking for me, just uh, Google my name. I'm the only one out there with it. Great. I'm Tim Eccles. We'll be right back. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host, Georgia Public Service Commissioner, my co-host, Casey Boyce from Decatur, Georgia. Casey? Hey, great to be back on the show, and uh, it was a great previous segment hearing about all that's happening with green real estate. Yeah, it's cool what uh, what Christopher and those guys, the green realtors and green appraisers, are doing, and we need to, need to get the word out about them. Casey, I'm really excited about this segment. We've got uh, Mike Maskelay with Wave with us today, and you know we've promoted our port and all the electrification they're doing, and 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 really at, down at Cox Pivot Facility and all the commercial, the effort on the commercial side to electrify. It's a, it's a big deal. It's it's how we're really going to move the needle, I think, with electrification. And it's good to have uh, Mike on today. Greetings, Mike. Thanks for being on Energy Matters. Hey, Tim and KC. Thanks for inviting me to the show. Hey, Mike, you went to school in Illinois. Uh, how was how was that? It's a pretty cold place over there. Yeah, it's a little bit chilly at times. Yeah, went to University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, got a double E degree there. And I remember stepping on the stepping off and on airplanes in the in the ice and snow, thinking I was going to fall down. Yeah, do you ever do any of that ice fishing or anything like that down there? Uh, not in Illinois, but I've done it at other places. Actually, in Utah, where I live now, done a, quite a bit of ice fishing and fly fishing. Yeah, that's uh, Utah's a, a fantastic place. I've uh, just flown through Salt Lake City. It's kind of a delta hub. Never really spent much time there. You do some snow skiing as well? Oh, yeah, I do both Nordic and Alpine skiing, quite a bit of it, right out the back door. Beautiful place. Yeah, Casey, you, you do any of the skiing? I know you do a lot up in the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah, you know, I, I went to school uh, for undergrad out in Colorado and so did quite a bit of downhill there. And uh, growing up uh, in Michigan, I did uh, quite a bit of cross-country skiing. So I definitely like to to strap some skis on my feet whenever I get a chance. But, um, you know, in Georgia, it's kind of few and far between those chances. Hey, we have one ski resort in Georgia. It's, it, it We did. We don't anymore. It was called Sky Valley. And I remember going up there when I was in ninth grade and uh, went up there with a girl I was interested in. Her family went up. My family went up. And I had never skied before. And I was going down the 
uh, you know, the intermediate slope. There was only two. There was an advanced slope. It wasn't like a black diamond, an advanced slope with moguls. And then the intermediate slope. And then, of course, the bunny slope. So I probably should have spent more time on the bunny slope because I, I, I had not fully mastered the snow plow and some of the basic things, certainly being able to, to turn and slide and stop. I don't even know what they call that. But I was going down this intermediate slope, and this lady was trying to get from one side to the other. I guess she had had a malfunction on a ski, and she was just kind of just slowly crossing over the the slope, and I was unable to turn, and I hit her just head on. And when I woke up, um, my <laughs> jeez, <laughs> my my skis were were tangled. <laughs> Uh, in hers like a helicopter blade we were both <laughs> on our back she went down in a stretcher with the ski patrol i after after some smelling salts or whatever they gave me slowly was able to to walk down you know the mountain holding my skis but i had a very very difficult outing my first time on the slopes mike i thought you were going to tell me that's now your your current wife that's how you met <laughs> no, 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 definitely, definitely not. Uh, I, I, well, Tim, this is this is supposed to be a show about energy, not skiing. Um, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to gently bring you back on track. And actually, I'm not going to talk to you at all. Mike, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you go from from uh, your double E degree at uh, the University of Illinois uh, to founding Wave? Like what 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 did that journey look like? How'd you get to, to what you're doing today? So I have an infinite curiosity and in innovation and in creating new things that are just a, a lab curiosity to get them out into the real world. So that's really where my passion resides. And I ended up in Utah through a, a bunch of circumstances, not quite as entertaining as Tim's, uh, where there's also also a lot of snow. Hard to top Tim's. <laughs> that's right. I don't think I don't think I can stop laughing. Anyway, we uh, we came out of Utah State University, where the technology was was founded, and then the company started in 2011. And several years later, we moved to Salt Lake City, where we're headquartered now. But started really with a tabletop demonstration of a five watt wireless charger, and then moved down to a five kilowatt system that powered a toy bus, and then went commercial at 50 kilowatts and six different locations and today we're at 250,000 watts powering electric buses in California. So that's the so, start of the journey. So Mike for our listeners this is kind of the same technology as like a wireless phone charger, right? I mean conceptually just a lot more powerful. Yeah, that's exactly what it is and it's helped increase awareness. So those run at about 10 watts just to calibrate you, and we're at 250,000 watts. And on our way to 500,000 watts and a megawatt, just to put it in perspective for you. Man. So uh, tell me a little bit more about some of the challenges that you had to overcome to make this technology work. Because I know I've, I've read some uh, studies out of the national labs that have looked at wireless charging on the highway. So this is like actually as vehicles are traveling. And, and that's not your technology, right? But, but my understanding is that getting the the kind of the charging coils and then the receiver on the vehicle aligned and keeping the distances correct like there's a lot of things that need to kind of go right for all that power to to make its way from the grid to the vehicle is is that true for your uh, solution as well and, and how did you solve for some of those issues yeah those you did highlight nicely some of the challenges so what you do is you hire a bunch of uh Intelligent people that are well-educated in things like electromagnetics can speak to things about Maxwell's equation. So we do simulations to figure out how to focus that field, that magnetic field between the two plates and make sure that it doesn't actually come out next to the plates. So we do that and can also simulate how easy it is to align the bus. So what we found over time is that that was a concern to be able to align, but in practical reality, you've got professional drivers and we design the system such that they can just pull up like they normally do to a transit hub where they pick up people and we start charging in a matter of seconds at high power. And, you know, you're, we'll talk a little bit about this um, uh, kind of coming up in terms of the, the uses, but 
where you said you started with a, a toy bus, right? The proof of concept and, you know, now now working with transit agencies. But what kinds of applications are there for charging? I mean, 250,000 uh, watts, that, that's, you know, that's pretty significant. Where, where are you seeing um, the application for this technology for charging vehicles? Yeah, so it started in public transit where the model fits really well. And incidentally, you can roughly double the range of the bus during normally operation by just charging there for five or 10 minutes during an eight hour shift. And now what we're seeing is taking that success in transit and looking at applications in the port. So not just moving people, but now we're also moving around containers and goods at the port. So doing things like the yard trucks that move the containers around at the port of LA, we're doing the top picks or top handlers that move containers on and off the ships as well as the drayage trucks that move the containers from the terminal operators to the inland distribution centers to get goods to you and me. Hmm. And are there different kind of challenges with those different markets in terms of like how your technology is applied or is it is it pretty straightforward like the technical solutions that you've come up with translate pretty well between public transit and those port applications? Yeah, it always seems straightforward once it's done. The, right. we, we, we were able to take the same basic core technology that we used in public transit and putting it at the port of LA to move goods simply by transposing the equipment from say a public transit depot to one of the port terminal operators. But of course the, the difference is if you think a public bus takes a lot of energy, it takes even more, as you can imagine, to lift containers on and off of ships and drive long distances for these drayage trucks. So we had to go up in power to 500 kilowatts and a megawatt. You know, Porsche makes the Taycan and their North American headquarters is here in Atlanta. And I know Efesec, I think, made their chargers. I think they've got six or seven down there, 250 kilowatts. But they they have to have liquid cool lines because... Uh, it's it's so hot. Uh, you you don't have a heat issue with your chargers, do you? Well, anytime you transfer that amount of energy, you're gonna have you're gonna generate some heat. But in public transit, uh, the application I mentioned up at Antelope Valley, the buses don't need any cooling to be able to do what I described, which is charge ten minutes per hour. So it's a much overall simpler process. Mike, do you think in the future that that our electric vehicles will move away from chargers with charging you know cords and that will that that will go completely over to inductive type charging or do you feel like we're always going to have some cords in some application well of course i'm biased right since i live in this wireless charging world but also spent part of my previous life in the mobile device world so the the story i like to compare is we all started with landlines and now we all have these mobile devices which are basically computers in our hand and it was all enabled by the infrastructure. So I think we'll see a similar transition going to wireless chargers for electric vehicles. Hey, let's keep this conversation going. Uh, it's great to have Mike with us from Wave. We're going to talk about inductive charging, wireless charging on the commercial side. Uh, stick around. Casey and I will be right back with Mike with Wave. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. 
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Casey, great conversation with Mike Mascalay of Wave Energy. We're talking about inductive charging. I mean, how many of you have one of those iPhones where you set it on the charger and it charges, not actually plugged into something? That's what we're talking about for buses, for trucks, eventually for cars. And Mike, who went to University of Illinois and lives in Utah, does a lot of business in California, Mike uh, Mascalay has got this technology and they are using it all over America, but a lot in California. Well, we're welcoming uh, to the show someone who's going to take us in a little bit of a different direction here for the, the second half. Uh, we've got Mike Masculet, who is the uh, CEO of Wave. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Tim and Casey. Thanks for having me. Mike, tell us a little bit about your company and how it got started, because we talk about chargers all the time here, mainly cars, you know, uh, but really with buses and port vehicles and and more equipment that run, say, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. These vehicles are getting into a place where they can be electric, uh, but we got to have the infrastructure to make them work. And you're, you guys are a part of that, right? Yes, indeed we are. So let's dial back to 2011. We were up at Utah State University, founded back then, and developed some of the initial systems that were to serve the in-route wireless charging market to extend the range of battery electric buses, which at the time couldn't complete a daily route without having some kind of charging during normal operations. So that's where we all got started. Wow. You know, we've got a large port here in Georgia, down in Savannah, as well as in Brunswick, but I've met with port authority a zillion times they've done a lot they've moved their ship to shore cranes to electric their rubber tire gantry cranes electric haven't gone quite as far as the port of long beach has but certainly they want to move towards electrification in the future but figuring out something that will you know that will handle the duty cycle of those yard goats or yard trucks as as they're called uh, and, and certainly the drayage trucks that go from the port, say, to Atlanta, to all the distribution centers. And then you've got the over-the-road trucks that's then going to go you know, more out regionally or across country. So there, there's a lot of moving parts in the trucking business with this, Mike. Yes, indeed. So let me dial it back a little bit to where we got our start. So we came out of Utah State University. At this point, we've dialed up the power all the way up to 250 kilowatts, so we have the largest deployment in the U.S. up in Antelope Valley Transit, northeast of L.A., 15 of those chargers powering 50 transit buses on a daily basis. So set the bar there. It's commercially viable. It's been running for several years. And, of course, we said, hey, there are these other opportunities in the trucking space that you mentioned. So now we have projects doing exactly what you mentioned at the Port of Los Angeles for dredge trucks, container handlers, and also the yard trucks, similar to what you mentioned at the port by where you live. So just to put this in context a little bit for our listeners, you know, you mentioned 250 kilowatts. That's about on par with what the fastest electric cars, uh, the light duty cars, you know, the, the Teslas and the Porsche Taycans uh, of the world are charging at. Um, but of course, you need that fast charge rate when you're talking larger vehicles. I, I remember, Tim, a couple of years ago, you helped uh, put together a conference on electric vehicles in the southeastern grid. And that was actually my first opportunity to ride on an electric transit bus. And if I recall correctly, they were talking about that bus having something like a 600 kilowatt hour battery, which is roughly 10 times what, uh, you know, Tesla Model 3 has. So, Mike, you know, when you're looking at, you know, your your customers, Antelope Valley, for instance, or some of these trucking companies, you know, are they using similarly large batteries uh, to, to charge up using your technology? Yeah, Casey, that's exactly what they're using. So the BYD buses that are up there, they're both 60 and 40 footers. And the larger bus actually has about 600 kilowatt hours. So what we can deliver is 250 kilowatts. And if they sit there and charge for 
an hour, we can roughly replenish half of that capacity. And, you know, when you started this, and, and I think this is still probably the case, and I'm curious, you know, you know, being in the space, batteries are a huge expense. They've come down a lot in price. But when you're talking about that much, you know, uh, energy storage in a truck or in a bus, that gets really expensive. So part of what you're doing, as I understand it, is you're helping reduce the amount of batteries that need to get put in these buses or trucks for them to actually be functional and complete, you know, whatever it is they're doing, their transit route, their, you know, their route to and from the port, whatever. Is, is that kind of an accurate statement, Mike? Yeah, you're, you totally nailed it. That's exactly what we're doing. So the model is that they do opportunity charging. So let's take a typical transit route up at Antelope Valley. They do about a one hour lap and they come back and charge for 10 to 15 minutes. And by doing that, we can roughly double the overall range of the bus. So what that means is exactly what you said. You could actually have a bus that had much lower battery capacity and therefore much less expensive. So you reduce the capex of the bus and make the overall system cheaper by using wireless in-route charging. Casey, I was um, meeting with a, a renewable energy expert for a very, very large U.S. Fortune 10 company. And we were talking about their distribution centers and their future electric vehicles. I'm not going to name the company because I told this person I wouldn't disclose the information about, uh, about their company. But he told me that they will be using about 50 electric vehicles per distribution center and that they will increase their overnight load at that distribution center, at all their distribution center, as they add these electric vans by five megawatts. Over and above what they're already doing, I mean, distribution centers typically aren't huge loads anyway because they normally don't air condition all the warehouse space, adding five megawatts actually probably doubles the load of the entire facility. I mean, Mike, will you be helping folks that are, you know, that are down at that level doing distribution centers that are adding delivery vehicles? Or are you guys just mainly at a port or a a transit agency or is your business going to go out further? Yes. Yeah, so to answer your question, we have deployments in yard trucks, drayage trucks, container handlers. And yes, it's a huge demand on the electricity that needs to be supplied from the grid. What we do is distribute that throughout the day. So they charge when they're typically on a break, a lunch or a break. And then in addition to that, to reduce the demand on the grid, in some cases we're using stationary battery storage that's in proximity to the chargers. And what they do is charge up those batteries at night when the electricity is cheap. During the day, when the rates may be higher, we use that energy stored in the batteries to feed our wireless charger during the day. Yeah, Casey, as we think about electrifying any and everything, uh, and I know more and more states are you know moving toward that, especially carb states. Uh, but I mean, Georgia's going in that direction as well. I mean, do you ever have concerns? You know that our grid might not be ready for this because it does take a while to build a generation facility i mean are we you know are we moving too fast you know in the aggregate i don't think we are Uh, and the reason for that is that if you look nationally at what's called the capacity factor so that's the amount of all of the generation all of the transmission all of the distribution that's used versus what it can actually uh, provide it's about 50 percent so that means we can double our usage without needing any new infrastructure now the challenge with that is that the reason that we overbuild is that there are times during the year that we're at peak right so you know think about the south you know august on a hot summer day People have their ACs running and we are using that peak. And so if we doubled the amount of electricity that we're using, then we're in big trouble. Right. Um, So the challenge really is not so much building new infrastructure. It's about using the infrastructure that we have more wisely. And so this gets into some of the things that we've talked about before on the show, like smart charging, um, you know, time of use to move folks overnight when they charge and, and just using that extra capacity when it's available rather than just kind of indiscriminately doubling things. Yeah, well, it's, it's great having Mike on with us today. Mike, we really appreciate all you guys are doing out there on the commercial side. Best of luck with you as con- as you continue uh, to 
electrify transit systems, the ports, businesses, and everything else. Well, Casey, another great segment as we kind of peered into the future about what might be with EV charging down the road. Hey, just in our last minute, I want to invite folks to be a part of the Georgia Energy Conference. I'll be heading this up. It'll be on Wednesday, August 11th, down at the Jekyll Island Weston, uh, just ahead of the Georgia Climate Conference. That'll be the next two days, August 12th and 13th, just at the Convention Center. Our energy conference is only $50, and you're going to learn a lot. There'll be three tracks. You can pick which track you want to go to. Casey uh, and Wilson Mallard will be doing a solar track where you can learn about rooftop utility scale. They'll even take a field trip over to the Jekyll Island landfill to take a look at their solar. Don Francis and Alan Shedd will head up the EV track, and you can mix and match these tracks. You don't have to go to the same one the whole time. Uh, And then Allie Kelly and Ben Carswell are going to do the sustainability track. So it's going to be a really fun day, only $50. You can just send me a direct message on Twitter or email me at tim at timeckles.com to find out more. Hey, thanks for listening to Energy Matters. We do want to help you save money on your power bill to use technology wisely and live a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. Have a great day, everyone. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com.